Hello, and welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as a North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. in the Harvest Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Folger. Uh, today we're picking up part two of our conversation with missionary evangelist, Brother Walter Stevens. If you didn't listen to the first part, I would suggest you go back and listen to that before you listen to today's segment. Uh, we are picking up our conversation uh, after his conversion as he's getting grounded and settled. Today we'll be speaking about his uh, how God worked in his life to call him to ministry. Again, it's a fascinating story. hope that you'll take the time to enjoy it. Now let's pick up our conversation with Missionary Evangelist Walter Stevens. Hello, this is Kevin Folger. We want to welcome you back to Labors in the Harvest podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us today for this segment of Labors in the Harvest because we're picking up our conversation that where we left off last week with my guest, Walter Stevens. And Walter, thank you for being a part of Labors in the Harvest today. Great to be here, Pastor. Thank you for inviting me. Well, last week we were talking about your life as a part of the Roma um, group, um, ethnicity, uh, gypsy background, and you were sharing with us about God bringing you to salvation. So let's move it along a little bit today, and um, I want our folks to know where you are currently. You're serving the Lord as the president of Roma Baptist Missions. Is that correct? Uh, It's Roma Outreach Missions Association. Okay. didn't have the name exactly right, but uh, mm-hmm. and, and let's talk a little bit about what that does, and we're going to go back in just a moment and pick up our conversation from last week, but I want folks to know where you are right now. All right. I, we, the Lord laid upon my heart to establish an organization that was going to focus not just reaching upon the Roma, a.k.a. gypsies of the world, but also other marginalized people groups. On our way to the major mission fields of the world, and I'm all for reaching the major mission fields, we bypass many pockets of people, ethnic groups that need to hear the gospel. And of course, gypsies would be uh, the primary focus of Roma. So we started six years ago. We're up to 22 missionary families. Uh, God is just blessing uh, these ministries in a great way. And uh, we just thank the Lord for that. Well, I met you in 1990 when you came walking into my office, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but let's move back to your salvation. You got saved. You started attending this independent Baptist church. So what did God do in that church as you were growing to ignite a a desire to be involved in ministry? Well, the Apostle Paul said that God found him faithful and put him into the ministry. And uh, the only thing I can really find that Paul was doing was just being faithful in whatever thing God had him to do. And part of that was, was tent making. And so we just got plugged in whatever we could do at the church. If something we painted, we painted it, it, our church was in a building program when we started there. So somehow, some way God saw us. And I believe that he had already planned to call me in the ministry before I was even born, but he found us faithful and began giving us opportunities of service in the local church, working with youth, working in the junior church, 
And then eventually in the winter of 1985, but God began to tug upon my heart for full-time service as a preacher of the gospel. And I truly believe, you know, we talk about being a pastor, an evangelist, or a missionary. I believe the call is to preach. And how you satisfy that call is between you and the Holy Spirit. But God called me to preach. And, uh, and I just thank the Lord for allowing me to be put into the ministry and serve him. But that's how it all started, answering that call in 1985. Well, that's wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about what your pastor did to help you develop that call. Well, um, I was, I, of course, I only had a sixth grade education, so I knew I had to get my high school diploma because I wanted to go off to Bible college. And so I went, I got my, uh, my GED and was preparing. Matter of fact, was applying at a Bible college close to uh, Ohio in Indiana. And uh, my pastor came to me. It was a small church, less than 100 people. And he said, uh, Brother Walter, he said, I've had so many preacher boys answer the call to ministry, go off to Bible college, but never return to their home church to minister. And so he made me an offer that I really couldn't refuse. He says, he said, Walter, I'll be your Paul if you'll be my Timothy. And so he began one-on-one -on -one training, which as far as I'm concerned is the best training. And I'm, not, I'm all for academics and, and school, but it was a great training time. And then I became his youth director. And then eventually he's an assistant pastor and a preacher. All he wants to do is opportunity to preach. And my pastor gave me pulpit time. I was preaching at youth meetings. I was preaching in uh, Christian school chapels. So I was getting my preaching sweet tooth satisfied, so to speak. And so this was the pastor who was molding me and helping me to satisfy the call of God upon my heart, a life as a preacher of the gospel. Very good. Well, that's exciting because we, we understand that, you know, Bible college is vitally important, but not everyone is going to have the opportunity to go, and it's not necessarily God's plan for everyone to go. So Bible institutes and one-on-one -on -one mentoring and training can be tremendous. So were there certain things that this pastor did, uh, certain books that he asked you to read, or how, how did that kind of work, or was it just basically the practical, hands-on, come and set my office, let's talk about some things type of thing? You know what, preacher? It, it was example. Mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, I had the carnival business was six months of the year. I had the rest of the year to myself. And so I would go with him on visitation. We practically did everything but sleep together. I would go with him on visitation, uh, hospital visits and watching his life and him inputting into my, and I know not every pastor can take a, a single person, one person under their arm and do that. But this is what my pastor did. I learned from an example. There was book learning, of course. There was reading, challenges to read specific books, studying the Bible together. But mm -hmm. most of it was by example. I watched this man who, who had a servant's heart. And, you know, we had excess baggage, preacher. We came into our faith with a lot of excess baggage. But he, he loved us in spite of what uh, we still held on to and helped us to grow and mature to make us to the, number one, the Christians that God wanted us to be. And not the mold that he wanted or anybody else, but that God wants to be. And then to turn me into the preacher that God wanted me to be. Sure. Well, can you talk a little bit about the development of your family? Because, of course, it wasn't just you. Uh, your wife, Dolly, also full uh, Roma and uh, your children. So uh, your children were somewhat young at that point. But your wife, of course, had been immersed in the culture and had come to faith in trust in Christ. And I'm sure in the culture, the, the women are taught to submit to their husbands, but was there any type of struggle on the part of Dolly in some of these changes that were being made? No, there was no, you know, the, 
like the man who led me to Christ, there was such a dramatic change in his life. Mm -hmm. There was a dramatic change in my life. Mm -hmm. And the gypsy culture is a male-dominated culture, chauvinistic almost. Mm -hmm. And I was not much of a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home husband. But when she saw me stay home, wash dishes, and change diapers, she knew something had changed in my life Mm -hmm. and wanted to know what that change was. And so when I witnessed to her, she received Christ as her Savior. I guess the greatest obstacle... preacher was the opposition of our culture in general mm-hmm. i mean the non-gypsy is called the gaijo you're called a gaijo right and christianity is not a is not a gypsy thing it's a gaijo thing mm. uh, church is not a gypsy thing it's a gaijo thing uh, reading the bible and all the things that go with christianity is not necessarily part of our culture and so when we came out of fortune telling and left those uh more lucrative forms of income and got involved in the local church, our family ostracized us. And uh, that's that time that we got plugged into the local church because that church family became more family to us than blood relatives. And so those were the opposition. Matter of fact, when we dropped the fortune-telling sign, Dolly's parents drove from Youngstown, Ohio, to Springfield, Ohio, to convince us to go back into fortune-telling because they were ashamed of us because... Uh, that gypsy fortune telling sign is a symbol of the gypsy identity with the American flag is to you and I, it mm-hmm. is to the average gypsy. Wow. And so when they drove those 200 plus miles, uh, of course, in our culture, you're not supposed to correct or teach an older person. So here am I, you know, you're, if you're going to witness, it's going to be a teaching. And so I'm, you know, what am I going to do? And at that time, a gypsy man out of California had recorded the book of Matthew in the gypsy language on audio cassette. Now, I don't know why I chose Matthew. You should have chose John's or Romans. But when my in-laws came to the house, we dropped in Matthew chapter one and in that audio. And I watched my in-laws' eyes get so big and their mouth drop hearing the word of God in their own language. And instead of them convincing us to go back into fortune telling, they received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, how wonderful. That is just wonderful. Yeah. So would you say that that maybe was kind of the beginning of your heart to say, okay, families being reached, my people need to be reached. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, preacher. You know, in my pulpit ministry, it probably comes up in every message. I would venture to say 99% of the time, at least at the invitation, is that it's our responsibility to reach our families to the gospel. Uh, you know, we get to a place that we witness to them so much, invite them to every special program. They keep saying no, they keep saying no, and then we give up. And yeah. then we like to use that verse that a prophet is not without honor except in his own, his own people. Well, you know what? I'm not there to present my honor. I'm there to present the honor of Jesus Christ. And so I would challenge anybody who's listening now that if they have lost family and friends, don't give up. It, it's Psalm 126. You go forth weeping, bearing precious seed. That's what we did. We began to weep for our parents, weep for our brothers and sisters. And, and we're two influential tribes. Dali was of a tribe called the Gurkuria. I'm of a tribe called the Rishdeshdi. And it, they're large tribes in America. We're the first to be saved. And back in those days in the 80s, if you were a Christian amongst our people, it was like being from another planet. Wow. But you know what? They watched our life, Pastor. They watched my children. When my girls' skirts were getting longer, their girls' skirts were getting shorter. And the stability of our home, that we survived giving up fortune telling and the uh, carnival business and, and that God was still blessing our lives. And so you have to gain a man's ear before you can gain his heart. 
And then our family began to lend us their ear. And of course, we presented the gospel. And I can, I can proclaim right now that all of my family, I'm talking about cousins and relatives, are all under the blood of the Lord Jesus, except for one uncle. Now, they're not at the spiritual level of maturity I'd like them to be. And they're not attending churches like I'd like them to attend. But sure. they give a testimony of salvation. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a marvelous testimony of God's grace and his work. Let's talk uh, about the moving of your family from Southwest Ohio to Northeast Ohio to Cleveland. And what precipitated that? Well, of course, the burden. Uh, we praying for our family. I'm, I'm second man of, the, of a church now. I Youth department, assistant to a pastor, very busy pastor. I used to enjoy easing up his time so he'd give himself to prayer and study the word. I felt that everybody, anybody who walked the aisle was a part of my ministry because I helped him put that message together just by easing up his time. So I, I, we're plugged in. I was content to be the second man of that church the rest of my life. We moved into the church parsonage, receiving a paycheck for doing the Lord's work. It just amazed me. But nightly, we'd lift up the gypsies of the world, and especially the major cities of America. When gypsies came here from Europe, they congregated in large cities because as an ethnic group, they can blend in. And they were concerned that another Hitler type would arise mm. and come after them. So that's why you don't have gypsy communities in America, per se, just like Cuyahoga County. Uh, they're in Cleveland. There's dispersed throughout several counties there mm -hmm. and throughout the city of Cleveland. And so uh, we began listing the major cities of America for God to send someone. Well, you're going to pray a prayer like that. You got to be careful. Before you knew it, the Holy Spirit was saying, we want, I want you to take. And so, uh, and I say, well, but I'm about to say, I say without exaggeration, pastor, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was when I went to my pastor's office to tell him that God was calling us away to the mission field. And some would say, well, brother Stevens, why was that so difficult? Well, this is the pastor taught us how to read the Bible. Pastor told us how to pray. Pastor taught, if you can teach a man how to preach, it's the man who taught me how to preach. And so we, that was home. He was our, it was our first pastor. And so it was difficult for me, but I knew what God wanted. And so he and I began to put a plan together. This is new ministry. You know, nobody amongst Baptists of any flavor were doing it back then. Now there are right. several who are doing it. And so the first person we counseled with was Dr. Charles Keene, because he was just down the road. Right. And at that time, Dr. Charles Keene uh, directed us to Dr. Garland Powell and Baptist Missions to Forgotten Peoples. And then, of course, we're Ohioans, so we want to reach him in Ohio. The largest gypsy population in Ohio is Cleveland. And so uh, I had a pastor tell me about Cleveland Baptist Church and Dr. Thompson. And so we drove up. We had a special meeting there at Cleveland Baptist before we even started the ministry. Met with Pastor Thompson and you and uh, just the... Uh, uh, lended my services as a fully supported missionary to reach the gypsies in, in the Jerusalem that belongs to Cleveland Baptist. And that's how that all started. Well, I still really well remember the, the, the time that you and Pastor Thompson came walking into my little cubby hole of an office that I was yeah. back in those days because we were in a building program and yeah. uh, was introduced to you. And Pastor Thompson said, what do you think? And I, I, I don't know exactly all that I said, but I was, I'm, was thrilled that we could get up to be a part of it. And I tell the story many times as I preach about not knowing what God was going to do, but yeah. the simple yes turned into something yeah. so amazing. Oh yeah. It is amazing. Hey, I got to tell you a little story. Do we have a minute for a sure, story? Sure. Sure. I was, uh, I happened to be at uh, Dayton Baptist temple where Jerry Siler 
is pastor. And Doc Thompson was there on a New Year's Eve service. It was his 50th anniversary of preaching. And he didn't know I was there. I was sitting on the third row. And uh, then he sees me from the platform and he says, well, there's my gypsy friend, Brother Stevens, he says. He says, man, I didn't know if I was doing the right thing or not when I gave you a set of keys back then. But he said, I sure am glad I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a great investment on the part of the Cleveland Baptist Church. Praise yeah. the Lord. We, we're so thankful for you and yeah. Doc Thompson and all that Cleveland Baptist means to the gypsy ministry around the world. Well, I, I tell folks, I said it was a little rough to begin with. You know, our folks didn't know how to exactly respond to the cigarette butts and the smoke yeah, in the bathrooms. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but God began to do a work, didn't he? And uh, yes, it's, it did. it's amazing. So, well, we're going to pick that up next week and we're going to start at that point and we're going to talk about how this thing goes from Cleveland to various parts of the world. So thanks again, folks, for being a part of today's uh, podcast and we hope that you'll join us again next week. I don't know about you, but I really love to hear about how God's worked in people's hearts and lives. And then this is really a great story about Walter and uh, God taking him out of the culture of the Roma people uh, as far as just uh, the lifestyle and uh, changing his life dramatically. We're excited about uh, next week as we conclude our conversation with him. We hope that you'll join us then. Please let others know about Labors and the Harvest podcast and these conversations that we have with our friends about what God is doing in their life as they labor for the Lord in the harvest. Thanks for joining us today. And again, we hope you join us again next week for part three. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest. Mm-hmm.